at my levels. Please give me your, your full name and your title with Amherst College. Uh, my name is Austin Sarrett. I'm a professor of uh, law and political science at Amherst College. All right, very good. Uh, <clears throat> first question for you, Professor. Was this the decision from the Supreme Court you were expecting? Um, it was. Uh, it was not a surprise to me at all. It was pretty clear uh, almost from the beginning that there wasn't a fifth vote um, against the use of Medazolam. The Supreme Court was actually asked to stay an execution um, in January in which Medazolam was going to be used, and it did not do that, and that suggested that there wasn't going to be a fifth vote um, that would uh, say that Medazolam was in any way problematic. And um, the Supreme Court, a lot of the business of the Supreme Court is not grand. The Supreme Court's in the business often of cleaning up messes. And sometimes those messes are because there's a, a dispute between uh, one uh, court and another. Um, in this instance, uh, the court was doing a little bit of that uh, cleaning up of a mess. The result of the decision is to give states really wide latitude in their choices of drugs to use in lethal injection and in their procedures for using those drugs. From the point of view of the process, there have been several reported instances where the condemned were given midazolam and they were not properly sedated under that drug. They felt the effects of the lethal injection drugs and in one case took two hours to die. Some states like Oklahoma say midazolam can be effective in higher doses. Why do you think the court sided with Oklahoma in this case? Uh, I think Justice Alito told us a lot when in a rather confused sentence he said if the if the death penalty itself is constitutional then there must be methods of execution which will be judged to be constitutional i think what the court was doing was uh, asserting again its belief that the death penalty is constitutional and look, if you if you look at the history of the United States Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court has never met a technology of execution that it didn't like and approve of. The court has um, said the firing squad is okay. The court said uh, electrocution is okay. The court in 2008 said that a three-drug protocol is okay. Now the court is saying that uh, midazolam, with all of its risks, uh, is okay. And there just appears to be several deep divisions on the high court about the death penalty. For instance, in a minority opinion, Justice Stephen Breyer says he thinks it's time to consider whether the death penalty itself is constitutional, while Justice Antonin Scalia called Breyer's opinion, quote, gobbledygook. How can this divide be viewed when it comes to the death penalty in the Supreme Court? Well, I think that the death penalty is, by definition, a very divisive issue. Uh, for some people, the question of the death penalty, for Justice Scalia, the question of the death penalty is really a question of simply looking at a history of practices. For Justice Breyer and perhaps Justice uh, Ginsburg and maybe others on the court, the prohibition of cruel punishment is an evolving idea and that the meaning of the prohibition of cruel punishment changes over time. For Scalia, what seems settled 
um, for Breyer is unsettled not by the abstract meaning of capital punishment, but by the day-to-day practical realities of capital punishment. What Breyer's decision points to is what I think is really widely recognized and happening across the country, which is that the machinery of death is broken. It's broken in the guilt phase. Uh, We know that because of the number of uh, people who've been convicted of a capital crime only later to be exonerated. It's broken in the sentencing phase, and we know the impact of race, among other things, and the choice of who gets a death sentence. And we know that when it comes to trying to execute people, lethal injection is yet just another flawed technology. And what Breyer's decision did was to say that in deciding on the constitutionality of capital punishment, we have to address and look at Um, the realities of the way in which capital punishment is used and administered in the United States. And as this debate continues about the death penalty, what role will public opinion have on whether or not it continues? And what about at the ballot box and at the state uh, law and state legislature level, too, where uh, perhaps some decisions may be made and perhaps some uh, legislators could be uh, worried about pressure at the ballot box? The death penalty is dying in the United States. Um, It's withering. If you look closely at what's been happening in the death penalty system in the United States in the last 15 years or so, we've undergone a a real transformation. So 15 years ago, about 300 people a year were being sentenced to death. Last year, the number of people sentenced to death across the entire United States was 80. If you go back 15 years ago, at the high point of our annual executions, we executed 98 people. Um, Last year, um, we we executed 35 people. Uh, 19 states in the United States do not have the death penalty on the books. Of the other 31 states, 11 of them haven't executed anyone in more than eight years. So if you combine the states that don't have the death penalty with the states that really don't use it, that's 30 states um, that in which the death penalty is either formally prohibited or just not used. And even in places like Texas, often thought about as the death penalty capital, the decline in the number of death sentences and the decline in the number of executions has been dramatic. So I, I think we're moving towards the abolition of the death penalty Uh, you know, kind of two steps forward and one step back. Um, It's being abolished in practice long before legislatures, uh, you know, get to consider whether or not it needs to be taken off the book formally. And what the Supreme Court did yesterday, I don't think it's going to change that, what seems to be inexorable withering of the death penalty in the United States. Final question. Do you believe that the Supreme Court sees this as an issue of states' rights? It seems like that's a term that comes up an awful lot in their opinions and in the cases that they take. Um, I don't know that I would use the phrase states' rights to describe this uh, case. It's certainly certainly the, the case that the regulation and the substance of criminal law is mostly a state matter. Uh, But I don't think that's really what's going on. I think what's going on in this case is a debate about the meaning 
and reach of the Eighth Amendment's prohibition of cruel and unusual punishment for Justice um, Alito and Justice Scalia and Justice Thomas. The meaning of the Eighth Amendment was fixed at the time it was written. Uh, For Justice Breyer and others, the meaning of the Eighth Amendment is evolving and changing. And I think that's really what the debate is about more than a question of states' rights. All right, Professor. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much this morning. Could you do me a favor? Sure Which thing. Is, um, when you do your your, your one-minute uh, segment, mm-hmm. if you uh, uh, would be so kind as to send me a link or whatever it is that would um, let me see what you do. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Right, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.